Chapter 27 Michael had never before visited the Woodsville Police Department, one block past Main Street. The old square brick building with tall arched windows had a tower in one corner and modern glass doors. Above the doors, a black sign with white letters said police. Pastor Thomas pulled open the door and Michael followed him. The waiting room looked similar to the one at the doctor's office, with chairs and magazines to read. A police officer in uniform sat at a desk behind a long sliding window. We're here to see Nathan Holmes, Pastor Thomas said. Michael's head jerked around when he heard the name. His father nodded at him. It's his real name, he said quietly. The police officer looked through a stack of papers and then stood up, opened the door, and ushered the two of them into the hallway. Empty your pockets into the blast plastic bin and walk through the metal detector one at a time he told them. When they had passed through, the officer led them down a hallway and through two sets of locking doors. Finally, they arrived at a small, plain room with a window in the door. Wait in here, he told them. A rectangular folding table and three chairs were the only furnishings in the room. A poster on the wall listed out the legal rights of a criminal. Michael read the first two on the list the right to remain silent, and the right to speak to an attorney. And then the door opened, and the policeman ushered homeless Joe, Nathan Holmes, into the room. It seemed odd to see him in the plain orange top and drawstring pants of a prisoner instead of his usual hooded jacket and torn jeans. His wrists remained in handcuffs as the police officer directed him to the chair across from Pastor Thomas and Michael. He nodded briefly at them and waited for the policeman to finish his stern instructions about the visit. They had 15 minutes, no more. The police officer left the room, but remained standing outside the door. Immediately, Homeless Joe leaned forward and spoke with great urgency. I need your help, he told Pastor Thomas. I didn't do it. I didn't steal anything. I've been framed. They planted some of the jewelry in my stuff. Whoa, hold on, said Pastor Thomas. Shouldn't you be telling this to an attorney? Homeless Joe took a deep breath and then spoke more slowly. I've already met with my attorney, but he said my case was weak. Homeless Joe glanced at Michael. I just really need you to believe me, he said. I'm not lying. I didn't steal anything. Beads of sweat stood out on his forehead. Why don't you start at the beginning, Pastor Thomas told him. Okay, said Nathan Holmes, glancing up at the clock on the wall. First of all, I'm a musician, he said. My family's company builds and sells organs, pipe organs, for concert halls and churches. My brother is the main owner and I work for him, or I did. We had an argument a couple months ago. My brother thinks the only way to run the business is to build and sell brand new organs. But I have a passion for restoring old, valuable organs and selling them to folks who couldn't afford the new ones. Nathan paused to see if Pastor Thomas was following him. Go on, said Michael's dad, nodding. So, one day I came across this amazing old organ in the basement of a church that was being torn down. They were just going to destroy it if I didn't buy it. 
I worked for three days to take it apart and carry the pieces back to my apartment. I didn't tell my brother what I was doing. I thought if only I could fix the organ and sell it, he would finally see what a good business this could be. And maybe, just maybe, he would stop thinking I'm a loser and actually be proud of me for something. Nathan dropped his eyes and his shoulders slumped. But then I messed up. I needed some money to rebuild the organ. I had access to the company bank account and I took some money out to have the funds I would need. I didn't tell my brother. Nathan looked up at Pastor Thomas. But when I sell this organ, he said eagerly, I will make up for that money many times over. I just wanted to prove to my brother that this could work with our business. Clearly that didn't happen, Pastor Thomas said gently. Nathan slumped back into his chair. My brother saw that I took money from the account without telling him. He also saw I had missed three days of work when I was supposed to be installing a new organ. He blew up and thought the worst about me, which I guess is mostly true. He threatened to have me arrested for stealing company funds. Nathan took a big breath and let it out. I rented a truck, loaded up the organ, and left town, he said. I didn't know where to go. After driving all day, I rode into Woodsville and just wandered down the roads. Then I saw the Hildebrand estate, abandoned and hidden back in the trees. It was perfect for me. I pried open the back door of the carriage house and moved in. Here Nathan leaned forward again. Didn't hurt anything at all, he told them. I replaced the lock on the door. I even fixed the place up some. And I planned to leave it all in good order when I left. I just needed to borrow the place. That's all. To build your organ, said Michael, speaking for the first time. Yes, that's right, said Nathan, nodding. And I'm almost finished with it, too. Oh, I'm so close. But, prompted Pastor Thomas, your time is running out. Nathan shook his head. Yesterday afternoon, he told them, I was bent over my workbench, trying to adjust one of the organ pipes when I heard the door open behind me. Before I could turn around, something hit me in the back of the head. I blacked out. When I came to, whoever it was had already left. I didn't see the person at all. Just a few minutes later, while I was sitting there feeling dizzy and sick, two police officers came in. One of them held me while the other one looked through my stuff. They found a bag that wasn't mine and inside it a few pieces of jewelry. Then they arrested me. Nathan looked at Pastor Thomas, his eyes pleading. I didn't do it, he said. I never saw that bag before in my life or the jewelry inside it. Now the policemen want me to tell them where I hid the rest of what was stolen, but I don't know anything about it. He shook his head, his eyes filled with despair. They don't believe me at all, he said. The door of the room opened. Five minutes, the police officer told them. So why did you want to speak to me? Pastor Thomas asked. Nathan had to raise both his hands to wipe the sweat from his forehead. Hopelessness filled his eyes. They said I could call a minister to come talk to me, he answered. You're the only minister I know about around here. Then he looked at Michael. I need your help, he said. Last week you said that maybe you kids could help me with something. Now you can. 
What do you want us to do? Said Michael, locking eyes with Nathan. First, I need you to go to the Hildebrand estate and make sure the organ is safely locked up. I can do that, said Michael. What else? Nathan pressed his lips together. I have a dog, he told Michael. He's old and he's been with me a long time. He must have gotten out when the person came in and knocked me over the head. Can you look for him? And if you find him, will you take care of him for me till I get out? His name is Sebastian. Michael smiled. Like Sebastian Bach? He asked, remembering a music lesson in school. Nathan grinned back. Exactly. He's tan with golden eyes and he'll be scared of you at first, but he won't hurt you. Only 30 seconds remained on the clock. Michael leaned forward toward Nathan. Can you remember anything, anything at all about whoever came in and hit you on the head? Did the person speak or make any sound? Nathan squinted and thought. I think he yelled at my dog, he finally said. I think I heard him say, get off me. But it sounded different, you know, like he had an accent from somewhere else. Time's up, the police officer said, coming in and motioning for Nathan to get up. Pastor Thomas also stood and put a hand on Nathan's shoulder. You may be far from home, Nathan Holmes, he said, looking into his face, but God sees where you are. You are never beyond the reach of his grace. He is the good shepherd who seeks his lost sheep and brings them safely home. Michael listened as he prayed out loud for Nathan. He handed Nathan a small Bible to read, and then it was time for them to leave. I'll look after the organ, Michael said to Nathan. And Sebastian, asked Nathan. We'll find him, Michael said. I promise. Chapter 28 Michael's feet pounded down the path through the trees into Willow Valley. He knew the others would be waiting for him, eager to hear about his visit with Nathan. He jogged past the half-built clubhouse and saw them under the willow trees next to the pond. Buddy and Terrence stood up as they saw him coming. Did he do it? Emily asked as soon as he arrived. Her face was stiff with dread. No, Michael nearly shouted. At least I don't think he did. The children sat motionless as he told them everything he had learned about Homeless Joe. A musician? Heidi exclaimed happily when Michael had finished. And he plays the organ? Oh, I've always wanted to learn to play the organ. I knew he couldn't be a thief. I'm so relieved, agreed Emily, gulping in huge breaths of air as though she'd been stuck underwater too long. Even Terrence was smiling. Well, that explains a lot, he said. Like why he saw him in the county library. And why he was getting packages in the mail, added Emily. Buddy smacked his hand down his leg. And that creepy sound in the woods that scared five years off our lives, he said excitedly. It was the organ, of course. It'll take me a while to get used to his real name, Heidi said. Nathan Holmes. It sounds so respectable. Michael's face grew serious. He doesn't look so respectable in the orange prison uniform, he told them. He's really in trouble. The attorney told him he had a weak case. We had to figure out who knocked him over the head, said Emily, and who really stole the jewelry. 
But first, we need to make sure the organ is okay, Michael reminded them, and find his dog, Sebastian. The children set off through the valley, tromping quickly along the path toward Heidi's house in the Hildebrandt estate. Emily's mind worked overtime as they went along. But you said you saw him running through the valley yesterday, carrying a bag, she called out to the boys. We did, Michael replied. Emily frowned, and Pete saw him run by on Main Street, too. We have a lot of things to figure out, that's for sure, stated Terrence. The children stopped briefly at Heidi's house to tell Bridget they were going over to the Hildebrand estate. She, she supplied them with cinnamon-sprinkled snickerdoodles and bottles of cold water to nourish them on their way. Two trucks from the Estate Auction Company and several cars were lined up in the driveway of the Hildebrandt house. The boards, the boards had been removed from the front door, which stood open as workers went in and out. Oh, I'm dying to see the inside, said Emily. She wondered if the auction would be delayed because of the robbery. Trying not to call attention to themselves, the children went through the trees toward the carriage house. They found the back door unlocked and quickly slipped inside. The carriage house seemed even larger on the inside than it looked from the outside. The wall boards were painted white and big wooden beams crossed the ceiling high above their heads. Daylight filtered through the sheets stretched in front of the large windows, making the space seem airy and bright. On one end of the room stood a folding cot where Nathan slept. Next to it on the floor was a dog bed and food dish. The other end of the carriage house was lined with three long wooden tables covered with many objects and tools that were unfamiliar to the children. But I don't see an organ, said Buddy looking around. But Heidi went to stand near the work tables and raised her arms and spun in a circle. It's here! All around us, she exclaimed happily. Look, we're inside of the organ. As they looked around, they came to realize she was right. Tall stands of shining pipes lined one wall, and more pipes of all different sorts stood in wooden frames on the tables. Near the center table, three curved keyboards sat side by side. He was telling the truth, said Michael, feeling relieved. While we're here, we should look for clues, Emily said. For a few minutes, they all looked around, not touching anything. Then Michael remembered, remembered Nathan's concern about Sebastian. We need to find the dog first, he said. We can come back later if we need to. Quickly, the children gathered up the dog bed and food dish. Terrence found a bag of dog food and a leash under Nathan's cot. Michael saw a shiny silver key hanging on a nail behind the door. Locking the carriage house, he put the key securely into his pocket. The children spread out in the woods behind the carriage house, calling for Sebastian in gentle, coaxing voices. Poor scared dog, said Heidi. I hope the robber didn't hurt him. Michael went further into the woods with the others. Here, Sebastian, he called. Here, boy as he pushed his way through the undergrowth, stooping to check under bushes and behind rocks, he suddenly remembered his father's words to Nathan. Was this how the good shepherd, his very own heavenly father, searched for his lost sheep? Sebastian, called Michael, don't be afraid, I'll take care of you. 
Michael's heart suddenly filled with compassion for homeless Joe, knowing that his soul was lost and starving for God's love. Please, Father, Michael prayed, help Nathan Holmes to read and understand your word. Please call him to trust in you and be saved. A few minutes later, the cry rang through the trees. I found him! The others quickly ran to where Heidi crouched near a thorny hollow bush, reaching her hand toward the frightened dog huddled beneath it. He's shivering, poor thing, said Emily. With coaxing, the old brown dog crept out from where he had been lying. He hung his big head down and looked at them with fearful eyes. But as they spoke gently to him, his tail thumped the ground. It's okay, big guy said Michael, clipping the leash to his collar and stroking the dog's soft, floppy ears. Let's go home. The children surrounded Sebastian protectively as they made their way through the trees toward the road. As they walked, Michael remembered a verse he had memorized for Sunday school, and he said the word softly to himself. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost.